0: Hi, everybody. I just want to pop in here really quick and kind of explain it before we get into the episode. So I recorded some of these Onamusha episodes while I was in a bit of a lull. You know, the next Final Fantasy game hadn't got here. I didn't have anything I had to play for the podcast. So I figured, ah, I feel like some Onamusha. Let's do this. So they're a little on the older side. They recorded a little while ago. And as such, you will hear me talk about how I don't think they'll ever get re-released on digital. Well, if you look in the news, guess what happened? And Dave looks like a giant honking idiot. Now, as opposed to, say, editing all that out, that's like, ah, let it go, let people know that I'm an idiot sometimes. So thank you to Capcom for re-releasing the first Onamusha, and on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome to Operation Sequel. Today we get to start a new series. So as you can tell by now, this time we're going to be talking about Onimusha. And this is a absolute favorite series of mine, so this is going to be a blast to go through. And they're not all that long until you get to the later ones. I don't know how I'm going to do Blade Warriors, because that's a bit of an oddball. But I'll probably at least throw something up to talk about it since it's still an important part of the Onimusha series. So, let's crack right in, right? So Onimusha was released in January of 2001 for the PS2. That is the main release. It did get a remake, sort of, named Genma Onimusha, and that hit Xbox. And that's really about it for Onimusha. It hasn't been re-released on anything, and it hasn't even hit PSN. I would imagine the reason why is a lot of the licensing, because the main character is based facially on an actor, and I believe he also does the voice in Japanese. And that actor is Takeshi Kaneshiro. And I can't say I know him from anything, but his face is very iconic to me, just as this character. So if I ever do spot him in a movie, I'll just think of him as Samanosuke. Now, taking a look at the credits, there's really only one name that stands out, and he's not even in a director's slot. It's Keiji Inafune. And everybody should know him as the creator of everything wonderful. Mighty Number 9 was a bit of a black mark, but for the most part, I mean, just for Mega Man alone, that guy is ace. Now, the director was Jun Takoichi, and since he works at Capcom, he did do the usual rounds of working on things like Lost Planet or the Resident Evil series. Other than that, he hasn't done much that I've seen. The music was composed by a Takashi Nagaki, and the writer was Noboru Sugimura, and he worked on some interesting things like Clock Tower 3 and Dino Crisis 3, But he also did, you know, the Resident Evil series as well, because, hey, it's Capcom. So, like Zelda, this is going to have a bit of an opening prologue. I'm pulling directly from the manual this time, because luckily I have all the games on disc. Okay, so a bit of a disclaimer before I read the prologue to this, because like Zelda, it's a bit long. But unlike Zelda, it is a chock full of Japanese names, and I know I have a tendency to butcher Japanese, so bear with me here. Yoshimoto Umagawa, a powerful warlord of Tsuruga, leads an immense army from Tsuruga toward Kyoto, in those days the capital of Japan. Yoshimoto's ambition is to unify Japan and crown himself its sole king. On the march, the army halts on the plain of Okahazuma in Awari to rest for the night. This changes Yoshimoto's and Japan's destiny forever. A troop of only 2,000 soldiers, led by Nobunaga Oda, a warlord of Awari, makes a surprise attack on Yoshimoto's camp. In a desperate battle, Nobunaga's legions defeat the invaders and slay Yoshimoto. This historical event is known as the Battle of Okahazuma. Just as Nobunaga is exulting in his victory, an arrow from one of Yoshimoto's soldiers pierces him in the throat. He falls to the ground in a death struggle. A young man watches this from a remote hill. His name is Samanosuke Akachi. He is marked by destiny. One year later, strange incidents are occurring in Inabayama Castle in Mino Prefecture. Soldiers and workers are disappearing without a trace. Worried by these inexplicable events, Princess Yuki sends a plea for help to Samanosuke. At once, he races to the castle, but he arrives too late. Yuki has been kidnapped. At the same time, enemy troops are attacking the castle, leading the army. Risen from certain death and astride a fierce warhorse is Nobunaga. Samanosuke vows to rescue Yuki with the help of his partner Konoichi Kaede. Defeat Nobunaga, an army of demon warriors. So, as poorly as that was done, at least the stage is set. I'm very sorry for mispronouncing some of those words and kind of halted approach. It goes all fine until you get to that word and my brain takes a second on trying to how to pronounce it correctly. In case you didn't know, Onamusha is almost like a feudal Japan version of Resident Evil. The one thing that sets it apart from Resident Evil, of course other than the time period, is it is all melee. There are some bows, but they are very much sub-weapons that you'll only get like 30 arrows for for the whole game. The one I'd say hang-up nowadays for that kind of thing is that it's still tank controls. Luckily, they did add a, you know, turn around 180 degrees button. But for the most part, this kind of controls like a tank Resident Evil with swords. So a bit of my history with this game. I think I've talked about it before, but this was the first game I've ever played for PlayStation 2. And I rented a system and I rented this game because Samurai, duh, and didn't know you needed a memory card for some strange reason, like they wouldn't allow me to rent one, and I didn't have the money to buy one, so I ended up having to play this over and over and over again until I could pretty much speedrun it. I've lost my touch a little bit, but this playthrough only took 3 hours and 40 minutes, so it's not a very long game at all if you know what you're doing. If you don't know what you're doing, you can probably expect a good seven hours, maybe somewhere in there. But yes, this is one of my absolute favorite series of games, and I don't know if that's mainly nostalgia, but every time I play it now, I I still absolutely love it. I probably play it once or twice a year just because it's so brief. That doesn't mean that I don't notice some flaws about it because it is a bit of a flawed game. So, the first thing you'll notice is the first thing in the game, and that's the opening cutscene. I remember when I was a kid, this absolutely blew me away and sold me on the PS2 before I'd even tried anything else. This, while rudimentary now, was amazing. It's a very artistically done opening. I'd I'd say YouTube it, because the Onomusha series has a pretty good record of opening CG movies, especially the third one. The third one is absolutely fantastic. But yeah, it's nice to see it still kind of holds up, and it's still fun for me. Now, when the game starts, you and Kaede are approaching the castle. If our princess is at the keep, there are two ways to get there. The western path, or the northern passage. Kaede, I'll go north. You follow them through the other way. Understand. Understand. Now, this isn't a Jill Chris kind of thing where you can play as one and then the other. It's just very much part of the story and there's nothing you can do about it. There will be parts later on where you play as Kaede, but for the most part, you're playing Samanosuke and it's a very, very linear game you're getting through. It has a little bit of the, you know, the mansion where you can sort of go off on a certain path and explore a little bit here, even though it's not the critical path right now, but generally you have to hit every room in the castle. And... It's a bit weird as a westerner because this castle is laid out in a very Eastern as it should be it's gifu castle It should be laid out like that, but it's very different than what I would think of a castle, you know So it's so the layout is a little weird for me Another thing that may be a little weird coming back to it is you cannot use the analog stick at all This is d-pad only also This was in that grand old period where the voice acting was absolutely terrible and I'll hopefully pop in a few clips here and there to so you guys can see it. Did you know humans could be such pests? <laughs> Where is the princess? Mm. Humans are more tasty when angry and I haven't eaten in a while. The best thing about this, especially for me, since I use games as kind of a gateway to learn things, is you Google everything in this game. Because almost all of the people and the places are absolutely real. Like, even though, I mean, they don't cast them in the historical light that they are. And the way they use Nobunaga, Nobunaga's always cast as a villain. Even though learning about him historically, yeah, he was just kind of a dude who was a little bad sometimes. You know, burned a whole bunch of people, but then he was alright for the, you know... It's, but Japan loves to use him as a bad guy and he works very well for that because he's a very imposing figure, especially the way they have him in most of the games. Even down to uh, Samanosuke, the uh, the Akachi line was, Mitsuhide Akachi was the guy who actually assassinated Nobunaga and he's part of that line so this kind of works. Anyway, the history is really fascinating and this is a nice gateway because it it can be hard sometimes to learn about history and retain it if you don't have a face for it. Like, if you don't have a face to go with the name, say, George Washington, it can be kind of hard and they just become a nebulous person. Luckily, especially with these kind of games, they give you a face to put on that person. Like, I don't know if I would remember who half the people are in Dynasty Warriors if they didn't have the faces to it, because I've read Romance of Three Kingdoms and It's very hard to keep track of names, but thanks to games like Dynasty Warriors, it's a lot easier to keep track of. Oh, that's to do with the eye patch, or oh, that's to do with the scraggly beard. So if you do look into the history of this, it does help to play games like this because it gives you that face. So anyway, off that little tangent, right back to the beginning of the game. So you set off on the path, and then you meet your first two enemies, which are these kind of ninjas with triple claw monster I shouldn't say monster, I should say demons, because that's what they are. And you fight them for a little bit, and you realize your weapon isn't doing much damage, and then a cutscene occurs, and the giant, who will end up being the first boss of the game, comes out and just smacks the crap out of you, and you die. Now, coming back to it, I have a bit of a problem with that, because it would have been more fun for you to try without your magical swords that you get later on in the game. It would be fun for you to try to beat him, kind of like a Demon Souls thing. But they don't even give you that chance. It's just taken away in a cutscene, and that's fine. I mean, there wasn't, there was no precedent set really for doing the opposite. So you finally meet these this council of ogres, and they give you the magical gauntlet, which lets you do a, the very god of war thing of after you kill an enemy, you suck up these souls. You move on from there, and it's pretty much Resident Evil, right? A couple of things I do want to talk about. One of the things that's interesting about this game is there's something called Isen, and what that is, is if you strike with your sword right before the enemy hits you, it's pretty much a one-hit KO to everything except bosses. I believe there's one or two bosses that you can do it to, and if it doesn't kill them outright, it does a massive amount of damage. But that stuff is like crack, because if you get it just right, you clear out a screen full of enemies by just using Isen. It feels so good, because you get this really cool flash and then Samonosuke steps to the side and just swipe. Ah, it's so good. And there are extras in the game, like you can unlock Issen mode and things like that. That just adds to that kind of mastery feel that this game has, because it's very hard to stick and move when you're using tank controls. Luckily, they do have a little bit of leeway in that they have like a dodge left, dodge right if you're in ready position but you'll probably want to have your finger more hovered on the block button because you can block pretty much everything in this game. And that's nice because you can slow the combat down to your pace by just block, 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 and then strike instead of having to worry about this is unblockable and this isn't. There are a few unblockables, but they're part of like combo strings from very certain enemies. Other than that, they're not a big deal at all. So while we're talking about the combat, The weapons are, your very stereotypical, you have a fire sword, you have a lightning sword, and then you have a wind, but that's kind of a glaive, and each one you can power up. Now, there is a bit of a tricky part with the upgrading system, because you can either upgrade the lightning sword or the lightning orb, and the orb controls two things that are kind of important. The orb controls what level your special attack is. Every weapon has a certain special attack. If say you hit with the lightning sword, then you do a series of quick slashes and then lightning comes down strikes the person. Or fire, you just, this whole giant swath of flame just hits somebody. And these are power, these are powerful enough to generally kill anything until you start getting into bosses and some of the really higher end demons. So the orb controls that, so if you want to use those a lot, which they do run on a mana bar, then you upgrade that. The only other problem is, and this is what makes it tricky, is you don't know this, but the orb also controls what doors you can unlock. There are these doors with like these little parasite things on it, and there will be one to three. Now, your baseline starter weapon can unlock the first doors. So let us say there's a bunch of red parasite things on the door. You have your starter fire sword, so, oh, okay, I can just unlock it. That's not a problem. You don't really know that you have to upgrade your orbs to progress in the game until you get to the second one. Luckily enough, unlike some Resident Evils, the enemies do respawn, and they're fairly generous with the souls they give you. So you won't really be stuck for long, even if, say, you've completed your entire soul cache into your weapon. You won't be stuck for long before you can progress again, but sometimes, if you don't know what you're doing, you can get stuck into a situation where you've got to grind a little bit. They opted out of the herb system from... Resident Evil on healing, which actually I think would have been a little nicer, because here it's very simple. You simply have herbs, and then later on you have a higher branch of them called medicines. You can spend a whole soul bar to turn an herb into a medicine, but that's it. There's no mixing involved. I think that might have actually been fun. And the same thing goes for your arrows and your bullets, because you do get a very simple uh, matchlock gun in this. You can spend a whole bar to turn, say... A couple of arrows into a couple of fire arrows or a couple of bullets into what they call burst bullets, which act more like a shotgun, and do more damage kind of thing. Okay, I think that's all the generalities out of the way. So more back to this specific setting. Most of the people, like I said, you will run into are historic figures. Uh, there's a few original characters, like there's one called Guildenstern, and he's kind of your mad demon scientist thing. It's kind of cool because he's throughout the series. (laughs) Sweet! Beautiful! Lovely! The dripping dripping blood blood and and Mm, what's what's this? this? Oh, a liver! (laughs) (laughs) Mm. What's What's that that smell? Who's there? A human? (laughs) How disappointing. Face me, demon! Who do you think you are talking to? I haven't Haven't seen seen one one as foolish as you since that, uh, Nobunaga. Nobunaga? Nobunaga? (laughs) I operated on and resurrected resurrected that pitiful pitiful Nobunaga Nobunaga after he was killed killed in in Okihazuma. He then made a pact with the demons and and pledged his eternal loyalty loyalty to serve us forever as our slave. No! Oh, yes, it is indeed indeed true. Now, let me show you my most recent creation. (laughs) Go, Renato! Fight the belly of that maggot and feast upon his bloody flesh! (laughs) Ha-ha-ha! Well, we'll see what happens to him, if anything, over the next couple of podcasts. But he's kind of my favorite character. He's The voice actor is really channeling this whole Mad Scientist vibe. I'll clip some in here, hopefully. But that brings me to the point of the voice acting is, is not very good. It's good in the way of it does its job, but it's very stage drama voice acting. And hopefully I'll have a few clips here. It's just kind of the time it was in. I don't I don't really see it as a detraction. It's kind of what makes it charming for me, just how over-the-top everything is. And that's kind of the whole feel of the game. The whole feel of the game is very over-the-top. Not in like a Devil May Cry kind of way, but more in a stage play kind of way. Another thing that's very nice about the story is, since this game is quite short, the story never really loses its thread you're probably about halfway into the game when you do rescue Princess Yuki and you meet a child called Yukimari. Jeez, a child. A boy named Yukimari. And there's a bit of interaction between those two and then one gets kidnapped and you have to try to rescue the other one. But that whole rescue the princess thing is kind of taken care of and done by about halfway through the game. Then it becomes a quest to get the items you need to actually take down the Demon King Fortimbras. Which I don't think he's real, but you never know. He might be. I don't know. In keeping with the Resident Evil kind of vibe this has going, there are light puzzles. And when I say light puzzles, I do mean light puzzles. There aren't very many. There's these things called puzzle boxes, which they're a lot of fun. It'd be kind of hard for me to explain, but think of, you know, eight blocks and they each have a letter on them. And you've got to try to spin four at a time until you line up with the corners Yes, I'm sorry. That's very vague, but it, it'd be kind of hard for me to explain, but they're kind of fun. I like those. The only puzzle in this that I really don't like, I think is like a very famous puzzle, is the water puzzle. So at some point, Samanosuke gets trapped into a room and it starts filling with water. Kaide has to go and do this sliding block puzzle while he's in the room with the water rising, and that puts a very definite timer on it. Now, if you're terrible at sliding block puzzles... And not sliding block puzzles like Sokoban, but sliding block puzzles of here's a bunch of tiles, there's one open space, you have to maneuver everything around to where you get them in the right position kind of block puzzles. That's very tense. Now, they they stopped short of of him screaming for help as he's starting to drown, because that would have made it more tense. But they give you a fairly generous timer to where if you don't panic, you should be absolutely fine. Like me, I'm terrible at those type of puzzles, but... I only remember losing the first time because it kind of surprises you and you're like, oh, what do I do? Other than that, all of the puzzles in this are very, very simple. And that's kind of cool because that keeps the game flow going. You're you're not going to get stuck on a puzzle. And even those puzzle boxes, I would have to double check, but I don't think there's anything necessary in there. There are some upgradable materials you can find in those chests, like there's a power jewel or a magic jewel and those just increase your health or your mana, respectively. Otherwise, it'll just be like maybe some arrows or some bullets, things like that that you don't necessarily need. On the combat front, enemies, too, are not very hard. It's really not until you start getting into the later parts of the game where they mix very certain groups of enemies together, and they very well, they very well, oh my gosh, they synergize very well with each other, so it can be a bit tricky to take them out. The only thing I would say is the archers are they just suck. Anytime you're having to fight a group of enemies and there's archers, eh, it it just gets more annoying than it is fun. Yeah, it's sort of a challenge on your skill, but it's not a fun challenge. Speaking of kind of sucks, but eh, you get used to it, is the camera is also a lot like Resident Evil in the fact that it's very fixed cameras. So every time you leave a part of a screen, it pulls to another angle. Now, this can get a bit disorienting, especially in battle because you'll go forward and the enemies will all freeze while the screen is transitioning, which when I say that it's not a transition, it's, it's an instant snap to another camera. It can be a bit disorienting. Also, it can be very disorienting when you've emptied out a piece of the castle and you haven't done anything to say, respawn the enemies and you're going across a bridge and it's looking at it from a wide angle. And then all of a sudden it pulls to the opposite angle and you're like, Oh, which way was I going? Kind of thing minor annoyance does get in the way a very little bit but you get used to it especially if you're used to Resident Evil at this point if I had one major complaint with this I would say it would be the bosses there are bosses here and some of them are fun like Ford and Braz is a lot of fun the first giant ogre demon is kind of fun to fight but there's really only one other boss in this game there is there is a part where you fight your doppelganger but it's not it doesn't really feel like a boss fight. It's an interesting fight. It's kind of like Dark Link. But it doesn't, I guess I don't picture it as a boss fight. Yeah, there's a boss. I believe it's Nui is her name. I'm not too sure on that. But she ends up transforming into this giant hornet bee wasp lady kind of thing. And you end up fighting her. And of course, during her fight, she's going to be flying around. And that add, this is another complaint I have with it. Dealing with enemies that are flying without having a way to hit them other than using your sub-weapon... You just kind of have to wait for their pattern to kind of come down to ground level so you can hit them. That can get really frustrating, especially with the Soul Sucker enemies. Uh, What they do is they kind of float above your head and they latch onto you and they steal some of your souls and, of course, your life. And sometimes they can be a pain in the butt just to get to them. Add in the fact that if you kill an enemy with them in the vicinity, they will suck up the souls automatically. You can't do it. So in order to get those souls, you have to kill them. But after a short while, they will end up disappearing. Just poof. And there you go. There's all that experience. Souls lost. In the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter too much. But it, it can be mildly frustrating at that point to try to hit them. But for the most part, the enemy mixture is great. Like I said, um, they have these enemies called Ronaldo. And what the, they're these kind of tentacle-y monsters. And when you cut them, they split in half. And then when you cut them, they split in half again. And what was once one enemy is now four. So it makes it very interesting because they can also do these attacks where they stick a tentacle underground and it comes up and grabs you and holds you. So they're very dangerous to have in the mix with, say, the giant ox demons that will just smack the crap out of you. It's If you keep your cool and know what you're doing, it's not very hard. I wouldn't say this is, oh, this is like Dark Souls. It's not. I mean... They are very generous with the healing items. And they also give you some other items to help. Like, you know, you can get kind of a uh, an item that once you die, it breaks. But you come back at full life. Because this does use save points, like most PS2 games did. So no auto-checkpointing or any of that. So if you die, you can use a lose a very moderate amount of time. Like, say it took you an hour and a half. Yeah, that's going to suck to lose an hour and a half. But you'll get to where you were quicker because you now know where to go. So it's very much a thing in this game where knowledge is almost more important than skill. Because if you know directly where to go, what to do, that kind of thing. Another thing that I think kind of sucks if you don't know about it is you'll walk into one or two of these specific rooms and there'll be this little creepy guy that's hanging by a thread. Hey, do not be afraid. I have information that may help. Hey... Won't you go to the Dark Realm? There is no guarantee you will live. But if you do, great rewards await you. And if you say yes, at that point, you're kind of screwed the first time you meet him, unless you're really good. Because what it does is it takes you to kind of a tower battle where you've got to battle, you know, 10, I think it's 15 floors or 20 floors. And once you do, you get an item that will give you the best sword in the game. But he's very limited on when you can do it. There is a if you say no to him enough times, like you know maybe you're checking his dialogue to see if he's changed at all. You can say no, you don't want to go. But you can also lock yourself out of that. So you got to be careful when you talk to him and if you're ready to do it and things like that. But a lot of my complaints I have with this are either well that's just kind of the time it was, or well they learned from this and it's better in the sequel. So it's kind of difficult to come down hard on this game. And I guess that that overall is where I sit on it. It's very hard for me to not like this game. Especially since it does the Japanese history angle. And I find it more fun than I do Resident Evils. And I really like Resident Evils. I think it's some of the swordplay is a big part of it. Also, I mean, Samonosuke, the character, for me, was a PS2 icon. And all of the games are available on PS2. Only one was Xbox. So he's almost a mascot in my brain. You say PS2, I'm gonna think Onamusha at some point. And I still really like this game. I can't say I recommend it. Like, I don't know if it's worth buying a PS2 just to play Onamusha Warlords. But I would say it's kind of worth buying a PS2 to play the whole series. Now hopefully like most people you might have an xbox 360 and you could buy genma onamusha for um you know a song you could see from there if it's worth buying an older system just to play it sadly ps2s are rising in price and that makes me a little sad because i would like to have an extra one just in case when this one breaks because i've had this for ever but yeah i'd say at least you know give it give her to youtube i'm gonna say this one itself is not worth going back and buying a new system. And, ...if you don't have a PS2 when playing. If you already have a PS2, it's at least worth uh, you know a checkout... ...because it is incredibly cheap still. And uh, with all the licensing issues... ...especially once you get another third one with Jean Reno... ...and the main actor and all the other things they have to worry about... Uh, ...I don't think it's going to hit PSN anytime soon. I would love it. If they came out with like Onomusha HD Essentials, it would be great. But I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon... ...because maybe it wouldn't be worth paying those licensing fees... But anyway, thank you very much for listening, and we will catch you next time.